Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Wadier, and I'm here, as always, I'm a good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing fantastic, my friend. Excited for today's episode and today's conversation. We are about to get into it. And when we first came across this article, and it kind of smacked us in the face. So we're going to digest it. We're going to put it into the Fasting for Life framework. We're going to talk about some actionable things that you can do today to continue to walk out this Fasting for Life lifestyle and how to put fasting into your day-to-day health and weight loss plan. So if you're new to the podcast, welcome in. Super grateful that you decided to click on us or find us in some way. And if you want to learn more about how fasting has transformed Tommy's life, my life as better husband, better dad, healthier individual than I've ever been before, yes. we've ever been before, and how to start, how we started this journey. And now three years later, continuing to deliver weekly episodes on fasting and fasting related topics. Head back to episode one, give it a listen. And if you're an OG, once again, we want to give you a shout out each and every week for continuing to blow us away with your support and your downloads. So yeah. every time you leave a review, every time you subscribe, every time you download, that tells the podcast world that we are bringing value. And that is ultimately what we want to do week in and week out. So Tommy, today's article is low carbohydrate intake correlates with trends of insulin resistance and metabolic acidosis in healthy lean individuals. Mm. Huh. And they say for the first time that this has been shown in research that a carb intake below 45% of daily calories was correlated with higher insulin resistance. Hmm. All right, floor is yours. Go ahead. I'll be here in uh, 20 minutes. (laughs) That doesn't sound like what I'm used to feeling or seeing or reading or hearing testimonials about. It strikes the radar as like, a little bit weird. And, you know, so when we start digging into this and going like, okay, well, how did they get there? How did they reach that conclusion? Is it really applicable? How do we reconcile that with, with what we know and what we've experienced? And sometimes they say the devil's in the details, right? And that's what we found here, which is when we start looking at, okay, who were they looking at here? So they were looking at healthy individuals. How many people were they looking at? 120 of them. How was this study designed and what was it really looking at? And then what were the physiological basis for the conclusions that they were drawing? So there's some interesting things here and some things to take away for long-term perspective. It's, so it's, it's not that the study was all bad. It's just that it's not all applicable. And there are reasons to doubt a few of the conclusions that they come to as well. Yeah. So you had a really great analogy when we started looking at some of this data and diving into it, Mm. there were some interesting things that we noticed and a couple of different lab values and peptides that we hadn't really dove into before. So Mm -hmm. going through like really getting into the details here, it was interesting, but a couple of the outcomes that they were looking at were HOMA IR, which is the gold standard right now in the research for knowing whether or not you have any 
discernible insulin resistance, right? Mm -hmm. Because when we look at the different models of obesity that are out there, there's the carb insulin model of obesity, which is newer, which is focusing more on the carbohydrate, energy density, high fat, high carbohydrate diet, standard American diet type situation. Mm -hmm. And then you're looking at your calorie in calorie out model, which is really going to just be eating in a calorie surplus that then leads to metabolic dysfunction. Mm -hmm. um, eat less, when move you're, more. Yeah, eat less, move more. So when you're looking at HOMA IR, we did an entire episode on this in the past, but HOMA IR has an optimal range of 0.5 to 1.4. So less than one means you're insulin sensitive, which is optimal. Above 1.9 to 2.0, that range indicates early insulin resistance. And above 2.9 indicates significant insulin resistance. So that was one of the things they looked at. They also looked at C-peptide, which is a peptide that correlates with the production of insulin. When insulin is made, it's actually formed as pro-insulin. And then C-peptide comes in and binds to that. And then C-peptide stays in the blood for up to five times as long as insulin does. So it's an indicator mm -hmm. of how much insulin your body is producing and how effective it is. And then they looked at HOMA-beta percentage, which is HOMA-beta, which there's some, even from the American Diabetes Association, there's some interesting statements on looking at all of these individual lab metrics, like kind of in a funnel. Uh, what's the word I'm looking yeah, for? Yeah, or vacuum. Yeah. Like tunnel vision, right? Mm -hmm. So for instance, you're like, okay, home, I've never heard of that. I'm brand new to fasting. I really just want to lose some weight. Okay, well, when sure. we look here at Fasting for Life, we talk about insulin resistance and, and having healthy blood metrics that you know, get the weight off and the health will follow mm -hmm. or start building health and the weight loss will follow, excuse me. But when you're looking at insulin resistance, we want to know what our fasted insulin number is. We want to know what our CRP number is. We want to know what these different labs. And there's an individualness, individual situation that comes, you know, as you as a person in your level of metabolic flexibility and your overall metabolic function and level of health at this moment in time. Mm -hmm. So when we look at HOMA IR, everyone in this study was in that healthy, lean population. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So, Tommy, you had an interesting analogy when we were looking at in the financial analogy, when you were looking at the results from this, when we're talking about, you know, 100 millionaires versus billionaires. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like some of the, the conclusions from the study were, were almost like if you were to take a group of just ultra wealthy individuals and then just start really splitting hairs and going, well, these these hundred millionaires really have some poor financial habits you know, versus the the billionaires and the hundred billionaires. It's kind of like, what are we talking about here? They're all at a level that's like beyond everyone else on the planet, you know, kind of here. And to micromanage some of the habits or the inconsistencies between those groups, it's not really going to be applicable to most people most of the time. And that's how I kind of feel here when I'm looking at these different groups, these different experimental groups. And most of the people here are falling within a really good range as far as the HOMA IR. And then so when we start trying to correlate their behaviors like their carbohydrate intake and as it increases through the groups and then saying, all right, let's draw some major conclusions and some correlations from those data, it's not necessarily applicable. And it's it's really, really hard to apply it to a group of non-healthy individuals who has blood sugar related issues or weight to lose or both, because then we really see like very different physiological applications and responses within the body. So for instance, you know, looking at the difference between me and my wife, mm -hmm. where I have still some remaining pounds of visceral fat that I'm trying mm -hmm. to get rid of. My blood work was completely at a starting point that was way worse off than where she is now. She is 
very low to almost non-existent visceral fat, healthy body weight, healthy BMI. All mm -hmm. her labs are great. Cardiovascular markers, all of that inflammatory markers, et cetera. Fasting insulin, very low. Fasting insulin, very low. So as mine's come down from 22, now down into the fives, nice. my body's ability to process things like a date night or a pizza night or a couple glasses of wine or an indulgent or a carbohydrate laden meal is a lot different than it used to be mm. when I was much higher on the insulin resistance scale, the HOMA IR scale, et cetera. Yeah. So could the hundred millionaire go ahead and buy a house on Martha's Vineyard? Yes, a hundred percent. But the billionaire <laughs> could buy five or right. buy the whole island, right? Like, yeah. so it's interesting that their takeaway was as you increased carbohydrates, the HOMA IR went down up until about that 40 to 45% carbohydrate mark, mm -hmm. right? But then what we saw was the highest HOMA IR was in the highest carbohydrate group. Right. So they're recommending that this recommended carbohydrate group between, you know, 45 and 65%, which is what about the standard American diet is right now, mm -hmm. is really the ideal range. This group was twice the size of the other groups and their mean average was mm -hmm. the lowest. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Actually, three times the size of one of the groups, which makes it really, really hard to right. kind of compare those buckets, you know, because then you have you end up with these outliers within the small sample size. And so the conclusion I'm drawing here from that group, just from the home IR is almost like, OK, moderate carbs for a healthy individual seems to be correlated with the sweet spot of home IR, at least within this study of a relatively small sample size, 120 people. And that's why I mentioned my wife versus me. She can have a much different macro breakdown than I can mm -hmm. to maintain my weight and maintain my healthy, my healthy state, right? Yeah. It's completely different. So am I in the, I'm no longer in the overweight category, neither is she, mm -hmm. right? We're both yep. in the same BMI category. Great. But we have vastly <laughs> different metabolic responses to when we ingest the same carbohydrate meal. Yeah. So when we're looking at this study, it's like, okay, yeah, you see this downward trend, but then you see a dramatic upward trend in the higher carb group as well, which wouldn't be surprising. So when we looked, we went and looked at some other research articles, and there was one that we had done an episode on before, and this was the American Journal of Physiology and Endocrinology and Metabolism in 2021 in January. And it's the effect of carbohydrate restriction on postprandial glucose metabolism, beta cell function, gut hormone secretion, and satiety in patients with type 2. So now we're talking metabolic dysfunction, type 2 diabetes, blood sugar issues, insulin, cellular energy processing issues, insulin issues, etc. They actually stated that a CRHP diet, where they're looking at carbohydrate-reduced high-protein diet compared to a conventional diabetes diet, reduced those glucose elevations that they call them excursions, but those swings, yeah. and improved beta cell function, including pro-insulin processing and increased subjective satiety. So why am I bringing up this now? Well, because in the population that needs it the most, reducing carbohydrates has been shown to be an effective strategy. Right. Yeah. So this study in healthy individuals mentioned that HOMA beta percentage got worse throughout mm -hmm. the lower carbohydrate was worse off, right? Yes. And then the C-peptide numbers as well. But C-peptide and pro-insulin processing go together. So in a disease state, your body knows exactly what to do. It will have decreased numbers as you go through using low carb as a therapeutic treatment of or mm -hmm. a therapeutic application of just like keto, 
keto diet, doing a 90 to 120 day cycle of keto has been very effective in reducing A1Cs, fasting insulin, and other metrics associated with type 2 diabetes. Mm. So we have this healthy population over here that seems to have found their sweet spot, much like my wife, living in this 45 to 50%. And we're not talking refined processed carbohydrates, right? We're talking healthy sure. forms of carbs. Yeah, mostly enjoy, foods. Yeah, enjoy your pack of Skittles at the movie theater. It's fine. As a healthy right. individual, <laughs> it's not going to be a big deal. Yeah. As someone that's having type 2 diabetes, that blood sugar spike might take two days for your blood sugar numbers to come back down. Mm. And don't break your fast with them either, you know? <laughs> it's right. not going to be a good idea. It's not going right. to reconcile very well. Even when you look at what these groups look like, I feel like one of the, one of the real big takeaways was kind of, kind of buried in this study too, which was just the finding of separating these groups out with what they were doing and showing that the lowest, the reduced carbohydrate group had by far some of the healthiest body composition profiling of all of them. I mean, they, they stood out far and above with waist to height ratio, waist circumference, hip circumference, much, much better, lean body mass, much better, much lower total fat weight. I mean, it was just the list goes on for the lower carbohydrate group. They just had a healthy profile, a, health, a much healthier profile overall. So even when the trends were showing, okay, maybe moderate is better over here. Again, I, I feel like we're kind of splitting hairs between the hundred millionaires and the billionaires going like where I see the group that's shining here is the group that was carbohydrates less than 50%. They are by far like the shining example for body composition in this study. You know, and that's one of the reasons why when we, if you want to get some more insight into how we kind of look at this stuff, you can head to the show notes and, and grab the blueprint to fasting for fat loss. Because what I want to yeah. mention right now is that study that we mentioned that was, you know, the carbohydrate restricted protein focused, they were 30% carb. We saw a sweet spot in this article around that 40 to 45%, although again, all being well within a healthy range. And then our recommendation when you start fasting to make fasting easier, because the number one error we see with fasting is that you don't make intentional food choices mm -hmm. when you start fasting. You've had this habit, let's say, of roller coaster diet mentality, on, off type, black, white, good food, bad food type mindset, and still walking out that journey personally as we speak. Of course. Undoing some of that stuff. It doesn't stuff. stop. It no. doesn't stop. No, it's a marathon, right? It's not sprint, yeah. right? My wife ran a marathon. She still had to walk to the car. I didn't right. like, she never, she still took steps after that. I'm right? never touching the ground again. Right, right. It's like, okay, no, that doesn't make any sense, right? So yeah. walking that out, when you come into fasting, a couple of the things you can do to optimize is one is to make intentional food choices when you break your fasts, mm -hmm. because that's going to focus on stimulating some of the hormones that are going to allow you to increase your insulin sensitivity. Every time you break your fast, you stimulate GLP-1, which is going to help to reverse the insulin resistance and increase your insulin sensitivity if yeah. you're making good intentional food choices, right? right? And so the other thing is we we tend to decrease the carbohydrates and, and say start off with a 20% carb. So mm -hmm. you're not overly restricting and omitting and painting yourself into a binge corner, right? You yeah. still get to eat, we recommend non-refined, unprocessed carbohydrates. And it also gives you the biggest advantage when it comes to hunger. So less carbohydrates, yes. less sugary processed refined stuff, you're going to have less cravings, which makes consistent fasting easier, which then allows you to see the scale move faster, which then motivates you to keep going rather than yes. 
starting a new nine, 12 week plan. And in the first three weeks, you're just having to walk yourself off the ledge because the scale's either gone up or it ain't moved. Right. While you've changed everything or like restricted everything that you can possibly think of. Right. Yeah. I love that because when we embark on, you know, using fasting, you know, maybe it's to lose five or 10 pounds or maybe it's 110 pounds. Either way, we're going to also need to internalize the fact that, hey, maybe some, some of these fasting skills aren't just going to be another diet, right? Like that's a big part of it is, okay, maybe I have this weight goal. Most of us do, or a lot of us do a lot of the time. But part of the trouble with that is if we're looking at this as a sprint rather than a marathon, then it can feel like, hey, I used fasting to get me to that end goal. Now I don't need fasting anymore. Okay. So the trouble with that is the same as if I restricted my carbohydrates or I overly restricted them, once I get to that goal weight, then now I still feel like it's still like a diet mentality. Okay. I don't need to restrict carbohydrates anymore. And then I kind of go back to the other side of the equation, which can be bad physiologically speaking, also habits, calorie intake, and then just hormonally speaking, I can see the the weight kind of come back on the scale and it can happen very quickly too, before I, before I even plan for it or noticed. Right. Yeah. And this is why we talk about beginning with the end in mind too, like body composition should be a thought when you start yes. a weight loss journey. Right. hundred percent. And we've talked about Ozempics and, you know, weight loss drugs, diabetic drugs that are now being used for weight loss, et cetera. And the fact that you lose more muscle mass than you do fat mass when you lose weight. Right. And as long as you're making lifestyle changes with those, then maybe that's a solution for you. But I don't know of a lot of people that we've heard so far that have had these conversations where that's even addressed. So yeah. when we're talking about a healthy functioning individual with that increasing longevity, metabolic flexibility, et cetera, an interesting takeaway from this article, you mentioned it earlier, was that lean body mass was considerably higher in the low carb group. Mm. Yet they, you know, again, we already kind of framed this as the millionaire billionaire thing, worse insulin sensitivity. And then yeah. they even cite often increased lean mass is associated with improved insulin resistance. So there was an article out of the, the Diabetes Metabolism Journal that's referenced that says importance of lean muscle maintenance to improve insulin resistance by body weight reduction in female patients with obesity. So again, mm -hmm. the population of obesity we're looking at, but this study looked at the HOMA beta percentage, right? Which is the effectiveness of the beta cells to produce insulin. Yeah, at least in theory. Again, right? Because we right. went and found this quote, Tommy, and the last sentence of this is, however, if the beta cell data are related, uh, reported in isolation, one might conclude erroneously that the subject had failing beta cells as opposed to appropriately low secretion because the sensitivity of the body was high. Yeah. And that, that sensitivity would be higher with increased muscle mass, which is exactly what Correct. we would want. So increased I would, metabolic flexibility, increased yes. ability to handle a indulgent date night meal or yeah. the cake at the birthday party. Your body's able to handle it better, 100%, because muscle, muscle cells and the mitochondria are literally the energy processors, the energy powerhouses of the body. Yeah. So I will gladly trade off a little bit of perfection on my HOMA IR number for a substantial increase in lean muscle mass, even if, again, I think there's just an oversimplification of some of these conclusions that we see throughout this study. But when we get into what does it actually mean or what does it look like and what are these patient populations actually, you know, what are their body compositions? I mean, there is a lot more than just what's at the surface here. And that's kind of thing because headlines, headlines are, are a big deal. We all have, you know, a very short attention span these days. So when we see a headline, sometimes it, it sticks with us. 
but if if a headline like this gave us a seed of doubt for what we're doing and and what's working as far as you know a bit reduced carbohydrate intake and you know healthier body composition it can be like well should i be doing that still or or, right. or should i not but that that seed of doubt can can sometimes go a long way and could end up derailing us and that's exactly what we don't want yeah and that's where we say that your environmental game needs to be more strong stronger than your mental game right mm. Because yeah. we know that the system we're in right now, when it comes to the the medical professionals that are saying, hey, you should lose weight, here's your numbers, everything's broken down into small little compartments. But if we get into too small of a compartment, then we don't have enough data points to say whether or not we're making long-term progress. So I want to see fasting insulin. I want to see CRP numbers. I want to calculate my HOMA IR. I want to track those things over time. I want to know you know, my, my triglyceride ratios rather than not really caring so much about LDL as an individual, you know, lab metric. So one of the things that we found is that the individualization of this, some people can just listen to the podcast and go get results. And they're like, mm -hmm. they report in, I'm down 40 pounds. And yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But then there are some of us that get stuck. And I was one of those people, Tommy, you were one of those that we were oh, trying yeah. to figure it out on our own until we started piecing together the power of fasting. And hitting those consistent fasting windows, making more intentional food choices. And that's why just out of this most recent challenge, you know, just incredible to see some of the ahas and some yeah. of that customization and personalization that we have inside of the coaching group. And it's not for everybody, but it is for some that are looking for that, that fall into this gap, this analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis type situation, sure. however you want to, which came first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> right. And that's really what we've seen as that environmental game needing to be stronger than your mental game, because especially now, if you're in the fasting space, if you're in the weight loss space, there's so much conflicting data out there. And for us, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, how my wife and I are completely separate, living in the same house, happily married, three kids. She's doing right. one thing, I'm doing something completely different. <laughs> well, why does it work for her and not for me? Well, that's because it's been applied over time and you yeah. need to figure out what's gonna work and what's not. So if you're looking for more guidance, you can head to the Fasting for Life community uh, where we continue the conversation, conversations, support, environmental game, greater than mental game. Head to the community, click the link in the show notes. It's a private community. It's an uplifting, encouraging community. It is a place that you can get questions answered and find some camaraderie and strengthen that environmental game. And if you want to grab that blueprint, it's our free resource. It's a 20-page PDF. You can also head to the show notes. Tommy, any final thoughts as we wrap up today? Final thoughts, just keeping the long-term perspective that there will be some changes that you need to make between, you know, what gets you to that, you know, ideal body composition and, you know, the health balance and control that you're looking for versus how you sustain it as well. So don't let the, you know, the small headlines derail you, especially when, when what you're doing is working. So if, if you're doing something that's working right now, don't stop and don't, don't look for, for reasons to doubt that. Keep going and, you know, putting it together with, with your, your plate and your, your macro nutrient breakdown. Take a couple of steps today to, you know, increase the effectiveness of your fast too. So yep. make one more good food decision and jump into your next fast with conviction because that's what we know builds momentum over time and, and helps us see better and better results too. Love it. Absolutely, man. Appreciate the conversation and uh, we'll talk next week. Take Thank care. you. Bye. So you've heard today's episode and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day -day life. While you're there, download your free fast start guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Make sure to leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life.